Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 15 of Ooh. Macabre Matinee with Craig and Sean. Yeah, 15 episodes. I don't know if that's a landmark or not, but we'll take it. <laughs> All right. As always, I'm Craig Lance. And I'm Sean, bearded Capulet. So, uh, you know, as per usual, time for our spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. If you haven't seen that this movie, uh, now's your chance to pause and go watch this movie that's been out nearly 35 years at this point. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, then, a little bit, little, been out a little while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then come back and finish listening to us rant and rave about it. Um, as I said, this one's subtitled Dream Warriors. And, you know, I always like to give it my own little nickname. <laughs> and uh, I came up with Or Masters a Puppet, Welcome Home, Sanatorium. <laughs> In other words, the entire soundtrack should have been Metallica. And instead, we got Doc in. Um, <laughs> we have an amazing docking song, sir. <laughs> yeah, but we could have had sanatorium. True, true. Uh, so this movie was released in 1987, and it saw the return of Wes Craven to this franchise right. in a writing role, um, along with Bryce Wagner, Frank Darabont of Walking Dead fame. Oh. And this was his first movie he ever... Uh, wrote and okay. Chuck Russell, yeah, uh, also directed by Chuck Russell. Yeah, this was the first movie that uh, Frank Darabont uh, gets uh, writing credit for. Oh, nice! Didn't even catch yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and he's also uh, he also did Mist, and I mean, you know who he is if right, you've been right. paying attention to movies <laughs> at all. Um, returning from their previous roles in the franchise, of course, we have Robert England as Freddy. Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, and John Saxon as Lieutenant Thompson, Thomas, whatever, Nancy's dad, that's all I ever call him. Um, and introducing Patricia Arquette as Kristen. Yeah. Yeah, um, her first movie as well. Also starring Craig uh, Wasson as Dr. Neil, and co-starring Lawrence Fishburne as Max the Orderly. Or as he's actually credited in the movie Larry Fishburne, because this is also early <laughs> Larry Fishburne. Yeah, as he, this is one of his yeah. early films. <laughs> yes, he, he was not instructing Neo how to get out of the Matrix yet. Right. Uh, so this movie begins with Kristen building a paper mache and popsicle stick version of Nancy's old house. It is very clear she is trying to stay awake. Uh, and as the night progresses, Kristen's mom uh, shows up from a late night date and not wanting Kristen to interrupt her uh, naked time with her boyfriend, she forces <laughs> Kristen to go to bed. Uh, when Kristen falls asleep, she arrives in Freddy's world. She follows a little girl into Nancy's old house, and when Freddy attacks, she picks up the doll, uh, I mean the little girl, and begins <laughs> to run. 
Yeah. yeah. It, it's very clearly a doll she's running with in that scene. I don't know why they do that. I guess just to make it easier on the actors. But... Yeah, I'm guessing. I didn't want anybody to drop the kid on the set and have to reshoot everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. Um, eventually, Kristen startles awake and gets up to use the restroom. Except because it's a Freddy movie, she isn't really awake. And once in the restroom, Freddy slashes her wrist, making it look like an attempted suicide, which lands Kristen at a psychiatric hospital. Once there, they try to sedate her, and of course this sends her into a fit where she is somehow able to grab a scalpel, because they have those in readily available <laughs> just lying about in check-in rooms at psych hospitals. Naturally. Uh, <laughs> just uh, then, the new intern, or as we know her, Nancy, shows up and talks Kristen down. As Nancy and Dr. Neil talk later, her purse gets knocked over, and Dr. Neil finds some pills that he later learns Nancy's been taking to keep herself from dreaming. That night, when Kristen falls asleep, she finds herself back in Nancy's old house. Uh, the house begins to attack her, and a giant dune worm with <laughs> Freddy's face begins to eat her. She screams out for Nancy, and Nancy is immediately sucked into her dream, and together they fight off Freddy and escape. The next day, in group sessions, Nancy and... Us, as the audience, are able to meet the rest of the Elm Street kids, although we don't learn until later that they are all from Elm Street. Nancy eventually talks Dr. Neal into prescribing the kids the same uh, dream suppression medicine she's on, because, you know, that's what psychiatrists do, and... <laughs> um, <laughs> that particular night... Uh, before the kids can get this dream suppression medicine, it actually takes a few days to get. One of the kids is killed by Freddy, making it look like he jumped from the window to his death. The kids become more frustrated that the doctors don't believe that they are being hunted in their dreams. The doctor's response is to sedate them and lock them in their rooms. Um, another night passes before the kids are get given the drugs. And another one is picked off by Freddy. At the funeral, a nun approaches Dr. Neal and tells him that the remains of Freddy must be put to rest if they ever intend to end this nightmare. And that evening, Nancy, believing Dr. N, or as, you know, he's called in the movie, Neal, is ready to hear the whole truth and tells him about Freddy and her history. Nancy then tells the kids the next day her story and informs them that they are all from Elm Street. And so they come up with a plan to decide to fight Freddy together and thus hypnotize the group. Believing that the hypnosis didn't work, Freddy is able to lure Joey away from the group, putting Joey in a coma and attacking the others there. Eventually, Awakened by Dr. Bitch Sims, uh, <laughs> Dr. Neil and Nancy are both let go from the hospital for putting the kids in danger. And as Nat Nancy sits with a comatose Joey, Dr. Neil is confronted by the nun 
who tells him the tragic story of Amanda Kruger, the woman who got locked in the room with a hundred or with hundreds of inmates and was raped and found almost dead days later because no one checks on inmates over holidays, I guess. And can't so, be bothered during the holidays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, she's pregnant with a child and that child is the bastard son of a hundred maniacs or as we know it, Freddy Krueger, because that is totally how DNA works. <laughs> we find out it's science, Craig. Okay, it's science. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it certainly is something. Um, it's movie science. We'll go right. with that. We find out later that the nun is Amanda Kruger and that she has been dead for almost twenty years at this point. Neil gets Nancy, and they decide to confront Nancy's father to find out where the remains of Freddy are hidden so that they can bury them. When that doesn't work out, Nancy heads back to the hospital to help uh, Kristen and the kids because Kristen has been sedated and put in the quiet room, and Neil convinces Nancy's dad to help. Nancy and the other kids enter into dreamland through hypnosis conveniently just as Kristen falls asleep. Uh, Freddie attacks and Kristen wakes up, only she isn't really awake. Um, she's back at the beginning opening sequence, and Freddie is her mom's date and kills her mom. However, the change in scenery has separated the kids and Nancy, and as they find their way back to each other, Freddie starts picking them off. Eventually, all that's left is Kincaid, Kristen, and Nancy. They find their way back to each other, and they soon find Joey still tied to a bed in Dreamland. As Nancy goes to save Joey, Kincaid and Kristen begin battling Freddy. Freddy begins to overcome them, and Dr. Neil and Nancy's dad begin to bury his bones, sensing this... Uh, Danger, I guess you could call it. Freddy leaves the kids and reanimates his dead bones, once again manipulating the awakened world. But, yeah. Hey, <laughs> a little, little bit. little bit right there. Just a little <laughs> bit, yeah. I mean, at least it was through his own bones this time. <laughs> he, he kills Nancy's father and leaves Neil for dead. Unbeknownst to him, Neil is not actually dead, but just knocked out. And how he didn't know that Neil was actually in Dreamland, I don't know. But hey, movie stuff. So <laughs> returning to Dreamland, he fights the kids, killing Nancy. And he is, as he is about to kill Kristen, Neil wakes up and finishes the job of putting Freddy's bones in the ground and consecrating it with holy water. Freddy disappears, never to be heard from again. And ending the franchise. Also, don't forget to tune in next week as we discuss the next installment <laughs> of the franchise. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, kind of like they do in these movies, uh, this was intended to be the last one in the franchise. But when a, when a horror franchise makes money and they don't cost a lot of money to make, the end is never the end. Yeah. Although they did. They did tease the potential. They left it open. They did. With the, uh, they did. Which I thought was kind of a cool, subtle way to do it instead of a, an entire car that's Freddy and ripping a mother <laughs> through a doorway. Just that little light in that creepy-ass popsicle house turning on. Yeah. 
that was good. And like, and again, this is uh, for me. Like, I couldn't remember if or when Wes Craven got back involved into the series, at least until New Nightmare, where he had his, you know, literally his name on the title. <laughs> right. So I'd forgotten that he did get involved with us. And you can tell right away because Wes Craven can make the image of someone making a paper mache house creepy as fuck. You yeah. Know, like, I thought that was a great <laughs> opening that really kind of brought us back into the, the early creepiness of part one. I, I agree. This movie, uh, I remembered it being one of my favorites in the franchise and it, it still doesn't disappoint me. Oh, it's yeah. got, you know, it's got its moments of course, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, overall, uh, man, the, the creepy factor is way back in this movie, which I think it lacked in the second movie. Absolutely. As well as just like us, uh, the, um, Lord, I, I didn't write it down. Now I'm going to forget the man's name. Uh, the guy that's famous for stop motion, like you know, attack, uh, attack of the Titans and uh, or yeah. Titans, all that. Yeah. Um, except for the skeleton moment, which was a very much a stop motion skeletal battle that reminded me of Clash of the Titans, is what I'm thinking of. <laughs> um, yeah, Clash of the Titans. Yes. Uh, with the exception of that, we make we we stuck with Freddy affecting dreams, and we also got back. We we got started, which I think it was peaked here to my memory of the rest of the movies the creative kills in this are very unique and to each person and very entertaining way of killing people that I think the rest of the movies, and we'll see as we go down the line, they were trying to capture this magic and most of them didn't, you know, from, uh, (laughs) you you have the kid who makes paper mache puppets, getting his tendons ripped out of his arms and being manipulated like a marionette to jump off a building. (laughs) Yep. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the TV growing arms and his head coming out of it. It's just like, I mean, it's very creative, very, you know, you can tell the Wes Craven, uh, goodness is back into this one for sure. Yeah, you really can. And like I said, the creepy factor, I mean, just the house, uh, Nancy's house itself. Yeah. They've now aged it, make it look like a haunted house. Um, it's creepy as fuck. You got the kids out front playing, Jump rope, singing their nursery rhyme about <laughs> Freddy. Little girl riding a bloody tricycle through the house. Right? I mean, yeah. Now I yeah, don't. It's no, sorry. Go ahead. I cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say it's just creepy as hell, man. And here I gotta wonder because I'm sure there were ones before, but I feel like Wes Craven started everyone's fear of little children in horror movies because <laughs> it's they're always <laughs> creepy as shit. Because you know, since we had the start are. of the yeah, since the start of the uh, the nursery rhyme in part one, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I know I'm forever terrified when I see a little kid just randomly standing around in a horror movie. I'm like get the fuck. <laughs> Like, technically, it probably started with The Shining. You know, with the yeah, twins. that's what I was going to say. It started but, with The Twins and The Shining, yeah. but he did not help the situation. Yeah, but I saw these before I saw The Shining, so I, I still credit well, Craven for my personal fear. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just like I credit Poltergeist for my fear of clowns, even though it Ooh. later came out later. But... <laughs> oh, for sure. But uh, well, what I enjoy about the movie, because I'm with you, uh, this one is one of, if not my favorite, you know, uh, of the series, I even over part one, because like Freddie is, you know, we get a lot more of his character. We get his lore started with uh, DNA yep. facts aside. <laughs> we do get his birth. We, we get at least we understand that he can't, he started off in a bad way. <laughs> you know, that's a bad way to start a life. 
Yeah, and, they they grew his uh, whole persona a lot in this movie. Absolutely, and then again the creative kills, and then the creative dream powers. I mean, right. it, I mean this this movie in particular was like so influential. They waited until part three to create a, a albeit terrible, a Nintendo game <laughs> for Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> where you played as the Dream I, Warriors collecting Freddy's bones. <laughs> that's awesome. I did yeah. not know that that was a thing. It's actually one of the few four player. If you had the the multi tap <laughs> for the Nintendo, oh, nice. it, it's a terrible game. Don't get it wrong, but like. This one was so like creative because I mean not only the creative kills but also each of the kids having like you know their best selves within their dreams you know because that's right even if you're not you know you don't have a high opinion with all these kids all have you know fucked up lives that put them in this mental institution but in their dreams which is normally supposed to be your safe place to where your brain can you know just let you live your best life now Freddy's fucking with them <laughs> so. We have like I mean, like I said the the kid in the wheelchair who loves playing. They don't call it Dungeons and Dragons, but it's Dungeons and Dragons. It's Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. <laughs> and you know he gets to be a wizard in there. Although you know what, for a man who can run, a DM should know better that a that a wizard never gets into melee range. Yeah, why why did he <laughs> run into melee range? That was stupid. That's what I was thinking. about. why you're a wizard, you have where's your you know, if Kincaid was there, you would have had a tank. He's, he's fucking nerds, bro. <laughs> fucking nerds, man. <laughs> Don't. Yeah, he tried a dual class. He wanted. He took one point in barbarian and thought he was the shit. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that 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 killed me. I've always laughed at that. Like, why did he move five? You know, five square adjacent, bro. You got to stay out of <laughs> that range. And uh, yeah, Kincaid. Although, yeah, definitely a tank. But it always struck me hilarious. Like, and you'll see it in other '80s movies, typically. Like, all you need to be the strong guy in the 80s movies is be a big dude, whether it's muscle or, like myself, fat, a sleeveless shirt, and some and some fucking uh, suspenders. You're a strong man in the 80s. <laughs> yep. That, that's right, man. And I dig it. And I dig Kincaid. I actually like, like his his character. Like, that attitude felt real. And I actually found this out. Um, I forgot to write down the actor's name. But his audition... He was late getting there because he missed, like, several buses were stalled due to, like, a very severe storm. So he was, like, <laughs> out in the rain. He was sitting in, like, the the, uh, the waiting room for, like, way longer than he was supposed to, soaking wet, freezing. And uh, he came in. They were like, we don't want you to read the script. Just talk to us. And he just cussed them the fuck out. <laughs> he just he just was screaming, cussed at them. They're like, you're hired. It's <laughs> one of them, you know, that angry man who, you know, and then the dream gets to channel his rage into strength. So, yeah, I thought that was a real funny way to get auditioned. Just go in there and cuss out your bosses and you'll get hired. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it, and I guess he didn't want the role either, but his agent made him audition. Oh, yeah, yeah, So he yeah. was even pissed to even be there, is my understanding. So yeah, you're absolutely then he gets right. there and they're like, hey, don't read a script. Just tell us what you think. Well, motherfucker, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't need this. Yeah, you know, that. so I thought that was pretty great. And, uh, I mean, and we got, like, as good as, like I said, we, got to, we, we start getting the humor of Freddy. I mean, with that's right. Uh, with um, Patricia Arquette watching, you know, the TV, watching a show with the real Jaja Gabor cameo. In this. Yeah, with a, with an off-screen death when Freddie, like the host, turns into Freddie, is like, "Who gives a shit?" or whatever, like asking her opinion. <laughs> you just hear a scream and it cuts away. Like that's just we're getting into that humor, but it's still working. 
Because, like, unfortunately, I feel yeah. like the sequels to my memory start kind of falling too much on what this one had the right balance of. That makes this one so much more enjoyable than I think some of his uh, the the next ones. Some of the sequels, yeah. yeah. The like when he kills the uh, the drug addict girl. Oh and yeah. Izzy's, Izzy's killing her. He says, "What a rush!" <laughs> and, and he even yeah. acts like he, you know, the look on his face is like right. he's actually getting high himself. So yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he really shines. Robert England shines in this movie. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but the uh, the roasted pig sequence mm-hmm. w- was actually a roasted pig that they let spoil. Oh, wow. And then they had people under the uh, table, like mechanic, you know, like working its arms and stuff when it came alive. Oh, and that's crazy. The, yeah, the director said it stunk so bad. Not the set director said right. it stunk so bad that uh, he still has nightmares of that stench <laughs> from t- till that, uh, still to today. Yeah, that can't be great. I mean, I've I've worked in a uh, a butcher area, and to smell raw pork just being yeah. chilled is not a great smell until it's pork don't smell great till it's cooked. I can't imagine rotting. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, and I guess my point to that is the amount of practical effects they used in this movie. Of course, it's really before the uh, time of CGI anyways, but the practical practical effects are really done well in this movie. Oh, Um, absolutely. The worm sequence or the, you know, the Freddy snake (laughs) sequence, whatever you want to call it, I guess um, they had, he was pink at the beginning of it. But it looked too phallic, so they oh. covered it in green goo. <laughs> I could see <laughs> to, that to make yeah. it look darker. Um, <laughs> and that they tried to use that same Im- image on the posters over in Europe, and oh. the UK wouldn't allow it because it was too <laughs> offensive. <laughs> yeah, so they, they don't a, like a penis giant worms. Penis, Fre- yeah, <laughs> penis Freddy eating a woman was not going to cut it in Europe, apparently. So. Which, again, I mean, practical effects, that whole thing was built big enough to her to get into for that shot. And, yep. uh, again, like I said, practical effects, animatronics, makeup, and now I remember the name, Ray Harryhausen uh, style yeah. stop motion for the skeleton. Yep. And I think a little bit on the worm, right? On, like, I'm going yeah, on. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I know that they were having some problems with the worm, and so they had to film the scene in reverse. Oh, and- okay. And then play it backwards. Right. Um, because when they tried to go the other direction, it, it didn't work. So, right. Um, but they only had like an hour to film that scene, oh. which is why they, they couldn't rebuild it. They couldn't change the way it looked. They, their answer was just to cover it in the goo because they didn't have time. And then it wasn't working quite right. So it's like, okay, well, let's film it in reverse where she's actually crawling out of the uh. mouth. Yeah. And then, and then they just played it backwards. So, gotcha. But yeah, like the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say like yeah. I mean, all you could, you could tell the work. You could tell like the crew, even Kincaid, who didn't want to be here. Uh, I feel like they all had a lot of fun because like everyone, whether you know the different acting quality and levels of each person, they you could tell no one really felt like they were phoning it in. Like I feel like no, I think the acting yeah. was pretty solid in this movie Absolutely. for a horror movie. Right. You know, right. especially you know, you you, you, ju- you have to judge horror movies mm-hmm. based on uh, 
it being a horror movie, especially from the eighties and early nineties. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, they, they did not go out and get quality actors most of the time, but it feels like what Nightmare on Elm Street did is they would spend a little bit of money getting, you know, pretty decent or up and coming actors. Right. You know, they would get like some names like, uh, you know, her dad to come in and, and be in a couple of movies. Um, yeah, well, you get John Saxton to do anything, you know, you're, yeah, you're, you, you've got some quality control. <laughs> you're bringing him and even uh, Lawrence Fishburne, I'm sure this is early in his right. career, you know, but he was still for a little bit, just kind of like a side character. You know, he was, he was likable. He was supposed to be that likable uh, attendant. And, uh, yeah, I thought he, he was really good for his earliest career. We know what he went on to become, of course. <laughs> um, and, of course, Patricia Arquette and Johnny yeah. Depp. I mean, they got some quality young actors as well. Right. Early in these yeah. movies. So, um, and, and like you touched on earlier, the lore of, of Freddy, um, kind of expanding that where we got his origin story. Right. But we also get the story where we now learn that when he kills kids, he kind of traps their souls in his body. Right. And um, he gets more powerful the more he kills. Right. And so, the, uh, with the return of John Saxon and Nancy, like now we have, like you can almost, this is more so than two, this feels like a continuation from one. Yeah, like like we talked about last week, you can kind of skip to because right. it really doesn't play into the rest of the lore of the franchise. But yeah, this one this one is really feels like a direct sequel, as you said, uh, and it's it's supposed to be a few years later. And I kind of like that they just pretend that the ending of the first one was just a dream. Yeah, you know everything that happened up to. Um, her telling Freddie that he no longer had power over him is where it kind of ends, which makes sense because Wes Craven didn't really want that other ending. Right. So, you know, they'd put that in to set up a, a sequel when in turn they didn't need it. No, oh, for sure. Cause yeah, cause he didn't, he, he intended for Nightmare on Elm Street to be a one and done. That's why he didn't have yep. anything to do with part two, but despite, you know, some of the failings of two, it, it made money. And the studio was <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to like, Wes, we're going to continue. You sure you want to sit the next one out? And he's like, no, fuck it. If you're going to keep <laughs> using my creation, let me get in on it a little bit, which I, I, again, we'll see as we go through the next ones. I don't know how much more involvement he had until the new nightmare. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, you know, <laughs> And I feel like that you can tell that his influence was in this one because of the script and yeah. and also probably on set a little bit. But he, certainly going off of memory, I don't feel like his involvement was real deep in some of the other ones. Right. Um, I have a question, and I don't know if you know the answer or not, um, and it just occurred to me or I would have okay. done some research. <laughs> sure. In the scene where Taryn, the drug addict girl, dies... Yeah. Um, when she's walking towards the bar, like uh -huh. an old hobo guy walks past her. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering if that wasn't Wes Craven. It might have been. I sure because didn't notice. Because he, he, like Stan Lee, does, does some cameos in his movies. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, it, now that I'm thinking about it, and I should have, I should have done some research on that, <laughs> but it just popped in my head. Thought I looked a little we, bit like him because I, I don't yeah. necessarily uh, remember. 
But I'm the, actually uh, looking right now, just in case. So you keep talking about the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So in uh, this movie came out in late '80s. Videos were a big thing at that time, and uh, Dawkins did a video for this movie called Dream Warriors. Uh, the uh, song called Dream Warriors, written for the movie, and uh, they did this video and they actually vanquish Freddy at the end and then he wakes up and is like what the hell <laughs> you know <laughs> in one of the you know it, it was kind of I don't know if this was the start of that but this was something that was going on heavy in the late 80s early 90s with movies where they did they'd bring in these rock bands to do uh, videos for them right and and that's probably why they didn't use Metallica's music because there's no way Metallica was making that cheesy ass video. No, they weren't. Uh, I can't find anything on that. But now I want to go <laughs> yeah. back and look. Yeah, but like it would have been great to have Metallica on the soundtrack. Of course, in the late '80s, Metallica that would have been amazing. But you know what? Dokken, for all of its cheesy hair metal greatness, they fucking brought it. I love the Dream Warriors song in this. And I'm definitely <laughs> going to have to, like, I'm going to drop a link in case y'all don't want to look it up. Because you got to hear it. It's, it's, to yeah, me, it's, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's good. It, it really is. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really just kind of being funny about the Metallica stuff because there's really no way Metallica at that point in time was going to do anything like this. Right. So... <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but one of the parts that was, I don't want to say left on the cutting room floor, but it was actually cut at some point from the movie and it was in the original script. Mm -hmm. One of their powers was going to be able to create Transformers. <laughs> Bro, no, I did not know that. Yeah. So um, no word as to why I'm, I'm a, assuming expenses because when they originally created this right. they had a four and a half million dollar effects budget oh. and they went to the production and said it's going to cost 20 million dollars <laughs> and i'm pretty sure they were told no you know what so i'm i'm gonna make a bold <laughs> statement right here <laughs> yeah if they had done that and got yeah. transformers into this even just a transforming robot yep as a power this would have been the greatest movie in the 1980s. <laughs> I mean, that's literally the only thing this movie is missing would be 80s era Transformers. <laughs> they tried. They wrote it into the script. Oh yeah, my God. I'm not sure he's. I would imagine it would have been the the dude in the wheelchair. Oh but yeah, yeah. I, you know, have his wheelchair transform into a. Uh, you know, into a robot, you know, <laughs> it would have been pretty impressive. But yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, wow, I bet I wonder if Sean knows that or not. So, uh, yeah, no, I did not know that one. That, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I already love this movie, but that would have cemented it as the greatest film of, 19, of the 1980s at all, the entire decade. I don't care what else Ex came out. <laughs> yeah, so this, uh, this movie, like all of the Friday, uh, Friday the 13th, all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, does not actually have a lot of kills. Right. It, it lives, as this series does, on suspense, comedy to relieve that suspense, and a handful of kills. Yeah. I think there is only seven kills in this movie. 
And one of them being Zsa Zsa Gabor. So we have no <laughs> idea if that's real or if that's just her dreaming. And one of them also being uh, Kristen's mom, which right. we have no idea if that's real or just part of her dream. So um, potentially only five kills. Oh, wow. But as, yeah. but as you said... The kills were pretty damn good in this movie. Yeah, they were. Um, so I'm interested to hear what your your kill of the week was. Uh, my kill of this week was the one that uh, not only was creative, it was unique to the person. It also had, I would argue, one of his most iconic lines that was actually an ad lib. Uh, I forget the entire uh, line because like, the first part of what he says was in the script. It's 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 uh, uh Patricia Arquette's television kill. Uh, uh, that's not Patricia Arquette. Or not Patricia yeah, Arquette. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, by her, her. The other uh, girl. Yeah. yeah, the other girl. Never mind. I, I think I said it was, I called her that earlier too. <laughs> but uh, they're yes, both blonde. The blonde girl that wants to be on TV. Uh, yeah. Cigarette burns. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. Because the first part, of, you know, when the arms grow out the TV, his head comes out doing the kind of that, that stretchy material trick again <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the antenna, which were so cute. <laughs> And he grabs her up, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like it's time for your close up." That was in the script, but by like they had to do that shot apparently a few different times. And by the the last one they used, uh, Robert England just said, "Welcome to prime time, bitch," and shoved her into the television. <laughs> and that uh, the welcome Which to prime time, yeah, uh, that was an ad lib from Robert England, who's just that's you know having a, amazing, yeah, having a blast in the role of Freddy. Uh, that's definitely my uh, kill of the week. Uh, for this particular film. Well, yeah, mine was the marionette one um, yeah, that yeah. you spoke about already. And it's that because whenever I think of this movie, like the uh, Jason goes to Manhattan, the scene where the dude gets his head punched off. Right. It, right. This is the scene that, that I always think about when I'm oh, thinking yeah. of this movie. Um, and it's a good and one. And it still yeah. works to this day. I mean, just pulling out his veins and using them for marionette strings <laughs> is just freaking amazing. Yeah, and so, the, uh, the and again, creative, personalized kills. Because like we know, the first one had brutal kills, but there was nothing about, uh, I forget her name, the first kill of her getting lifted up into the ceiling, the Johnny Depp yeah. blood geyser. This dude was a sleepwalker. That's right. And he, uh, I believe he maybe even had like tried to slit his wrists. That's why he mentioned like no sharp objects. I could be wrong about that, but like, I think uh, just in general in a psych ward, there's no sharp objects, but, uh, but the sleepwalker thing that way, even though in the dream, yeah, he's got his, his veins being used as puppet strings, but what they see in real life is just him walking, his sleepwalking. Even Kincaid sees him and goes, man, go back to bed. <laughs> you know, because they don't yeah. think anything of it. <laughs> so again, like, yeah. it starts the unique kills that are personal to each victim, which is, I think, a staple, whether for better or worse in the later ones, of Nightmare on Elm Street. I agree. And it's uh, it, it's done so well in this movie. You know, like I said, the... the uh, Taryn, I think is her name. I can't remember the girl, the drug addict girl. Right, right. The way he kills her, her with drugs. Yeah. Even though it's not drugs, it's just his needles, but it looks like syringes. Yeah. But making his, uh, uh, you know, the famous knife glove into, you know, needles and on both hands. Still, <laughs> that's, that's again very great, very cool. Any it, one of these could was. have won, but like my favorite is the TV one, and because yeah, that's what I think of. And like you said, you think of the marionette one. So, yeah. 
Well, and he, even Joey, even though he doesn't die, right. he's making out with the the nurse in his oh, dream, yeah. of course, and she turns into Freddy, <laughs> and he ties him to the bed with tongues, you know, and, and you get that comment, oh, you feeling a little tongue-tied? So, yeah. you know, yeah, it... Freddie Robert England just takes it to another level. I'm assuming part of that's the script, part of that's the way he plays it. Um, but yeah, I I've got almost zero complaints about this movie. Yeah, I don't know, none at all to be honest. It's uh, I I it is right now and until like I said we'll go back through and you know, even with like Friday the Thirteenth we found some ranking higher than what we remembered. But yeah, I I still have a strong feeling this is still my favorite of the franchise. Exactly. Yeah, so you know, this is really just up there like you said, it, it's one of one of my favorites in the franchise and there's just no telling how, you know, again, I, based off of memory until we rewatch them, um it it's it rates really high for me. So based on that, yeah. I I gave it a four and a half. Four and a half? Yeah. Yeah, that's more than fair. I actually give it five. Did you? It's, yeah, yeah. I love this film. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a very very good movie, and I remembered it being my favorite in the series. From you know, I, I watched this one in the theater. It was the first one I watched in the oh, theater. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I was a uh, want to say a sophomore in high school. I graduated in '89, so somewhere right. around there. Okay, so. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, me and my buddy went and watched it, uh, and yeah, I remember walking out of there, we were laughing about all the kill scenes, and yeah. you know, when when you can walk out of a horror movie and still talk about the, the kill scenes and things like that, that's always a good sign, so no, yeah, that gives sure. it a, a total of a nine and a half, so yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Not bad, not bad. Can't do much better than that. Yeah, I don't think, uh, honestly, I could be wrong, but I don't think anyone else is going to come close to this. <laughs> I, this I will be surprised. <laughs> I will be surprised. So. Well, okay. Well, I think that is going to have to do it for today. Uh, thank you all very much for tuning in. As always, if you uh, like what you heard, give us a like, comment, subscribe. Y'all know the deal by now. And But especially, we really would like to hear from y'all what y'all think about these movies. Like, uh, you know, did you enjoy it? Did you, uh, you know, do you agree with our ranking this as high as we did? Or do you think we're dumb as hell and part two's a masterpiece? <laughs> uh, let us know. We always like hearing from y'all. But that's going to do it for today. So we'll catch y'all later. See you next week.